Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, guys, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio, uh, coming to you from Canton, Ohio, and Tulsa, Oklahoma, across the internet, uh, having a good time, bringing you some great content. We're having a good time doing this. Uh, we have some amazing sponsors with some great discount codes. Ted, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, first up, we got Dogtra. Uh, they're getting ready to release a new Ball Popper Pro. I've actually got two of the other regular doll, Ball Poppers, and I've been using them for several months. I've got Magnus glued to them. I stick them to the cars and everything else. They are fantastic. I've got uh, four Jews in Handler School right now. Uh, and I was using them today. I actually hide one in a car and have the ball pop out of a window. And then I've got magnets stuck to both of them. And I hide them up under buses and stuff and use the popper and the dropper and everything else. So the new one, though, um, kind of addressed some things that they had uh, heard from feedback from from guys like us, which is the pro staff people and some uh, normal consumers. One is a faster uh, release time on the button. Two is going to be rechargeable batteries. Three, they're going to do a two foot launch height and they're going to have a different strap on it which makes it easier to hang but uh, this should be available by the time you hear this at uh, dogster.com and uh, make sure you use the discount code WDR10 I want to talk about one of our bigger sponsors that we really like is Ray Allen Uh, you guys have seen me do a lot of social media posts for rayallen.com I'm a big believer in Ray Allen A because no sex offenders run that uh, company true story Um, yeah, we have some integrity. We only support those types of folks. Some of the coolest stuff, man. And here's the thing: Ray Allen is not just for working dogs. They, they they're for dogs in general, pets, uh, working dogs, sport dogs, all the ones you can think of. They just launched a couple really cool new products. They they really help. They're good for all kinds of dogs. And they're uh, these treat pouches that they have. That uh, one of which will slide into like your front pocket of your pants. Not skinny jeans, Ted. They won't fit really in skinny jeans. <laughs> what the fuck? That's not. You're out. But uh, no, just kidding. Um, and then the other one they have fits inside a hoodie pocket. That one's really cool because one side of it you could put treats in. The other side you could put like a, a Kong or a ball or anything like that. But, I mean, that's the thing about Ray Allen. Everything you need, one-stop shop, rayallen.com. Uh, mention the Working Dog Radio to get 10% off your next order, rayallen.com. Yep. And if everybody remembers the episode that we talked with uh, the guys from True Scent, Ellie, and we talked it, we didn't specifically mention the explosive in the episode, but he talked about it. The dude in New York that uh, almost blew himself up. He was using a an explosive that's a high explosive that's very similar to PETN and chemical uh, structure and characteristics and power, but its ingredients are far easier to obtain. It's called ETN or ethyl tetranitrate. It's a super high explosive. It can be used to prepare debt cord and boosters or main charges, but it's a true HME because it's not used in military or civilians explosive formulation, which makes it super, super dangerous. So you got to train on it because it's easy to make. So the problem is because it's easy to make, it makes it unstable. Nobody wants to blow themselves up. That's where we enter the guys from TrueScent. So ETN is an emerging threat and will likely find an increase in use. Future requirements, such as the NORT test and that new TSA, the fancy test coming up, is probably going to require it. So ETN and PETN are different chemicals and likely have a unique odor profile. Training your canine on both PETN does not mean that it will alert on ETN. So you got to do it. Now, the safest way to do it is with TrueScent, which is a simulant, not a pseudo. So it's actual explosive odor 
suspended in a silica base so you can handle it and not worry about blowing yourself up. The best part of this, if you go to truescentcanine.com and use the discount code WDR15, you'll get 15% off your first order, plus they make a whole host and suite of other explosive scents, including RDX and PETN and all the other stuff that you don't want to mess with. So hit them up, truescentcanine.com. Awesome. I also want to take a second to talk about one of our favorite seminars, probably the biggest one in the country, the one you don't want to miss. Again, another theme here is HITS. The conference that we'll be attending this year is not run by sex offenders. Other magazine conferences run by sex offenders, convicted. HITS Canine is the largest seminar in the United States. Uh, They're trying to get over a thousand handlers and trainers and supervisors there this year. It's in Chicago, August 13th through the 16th. It, we had such a good time last year, man, down in D.C. It's so good. It's owned by working canine handlers who won't settle for second best when it comes to canine training. They're not going to have defense attorneys sitting in the classrooms, taking videos, throwing out ridiculous, stupid questions, tr- trying to figure out how to beat us in court. I it wish you made is, that up. That's right. Not <laughs> fake. Not fake news. Hits is you got to be an L.E. canine to be there, supervisor or, or trainer. Um, check it out. Hitscanine.net. Don't mess around, guys. The uh, the price increases after July 15th by like 75 bucks, right? right? So you're like, oh, I have till July. That's cool. You Don't. I'm telling you, don't do it. They will sell out. They will fill that hotel. You'll be screwed. Get on it. Uh, HitsK9.net. We already booked our room, so you guys should be there. Uh, I got a exact right. So uh, we got a handler school going on right now. So part of my handler school, uh, we include care and kind of emergency medicine should the dog get hurt and just kind of like basic care and feeding i mean you've got a dog a living animal so one of the things that these dogs always do and i tell my handlers i'm like you're literally just a break for this dog like they're gonna do what they're gonna do and they find fantastic ways to hurt themselves all the time and some unique ways which have always surprised me not everything is going to require stitches. Not everything is going to require some sort of gnarly vet visit um, for that kind of stuff, whether it's a hot spot that could kind of turn into something that is more dangerous or more threatening, or even after you do get stitches for an injury, uh, the guys at Vet Care make an awesome product called Quick Derm. Not going to lie, I use it on myself when I got nuked by a dog a couple of weeks ago, and it works really well. So it was started for, used for humans. Uh, they've slightly tweaked it to be used for horses and dogs, but uh, I've used it at the kennel for dogs with hot spots and with happy tail, and I mean, within 10 to 15 days, I've seen it hot spots go almost completely away and happy tail heal up nice and scab up and scar up so that you don't have the problem over and over again. Uh, hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for 10% off. Those guys are awesome. We love that stuff. It comes in a spray and it comes in like a tube that you can spray on or that you can rub on. So you can just drop it in the patrol car and uh, call it good. It's funny. I have a dog um, down in Tennessee and he is cut prone and, and whatever because the dog's a machine. The dog got cut just playing out in this uh, this field next to the house and um, found like a big thick reed of, gla- of grass down inside it. She had to peel that out. So he's got of course she did. Like an inch, yeah, like an <laughs> entry and exit wound in it. Um, so I sent her some of that stuff. We got some before pictures and it's amazing to start see the, the change within a day, two days, three days. It's crazy right. how good that stuff works. So I want to talk about Cameron Ford and Silver State Canine. 
So Cameron was on here on a podcast. Um, he's really become this uh, go-to detection guy in, in the industry. He's got himself a nice little podcast going on. Uh, he moved, you know, for those of you who don't know, he's worked all over the United States, uh, training dogs of all kinds uh, at a pretty high level, Naval Special Warfare. He's done some real cerebral stuff, you know, involving college programs and things when it comes to de scent detection. He moved to Vegas and joined the team at SilverStateK9.com. They got a really pretty sweet facility there. It's like a detection playground. I really like that place. And I know he does too. He's really enjoying it. Yeah. They got a lot of really cool classes coming up. They have a detection dog trainer class, May 6th through the 17th. It's really cool. You're going to learn a lot of theory from him, markers, uh, indirect versus direct reward, all kinds of stuff. If you want to be a detection dog trainer, May 6th through the 17th, May 30th and 31st. And this is a big one. This is the... Uh, Canine Handler uh, Explosive and IED Familiarization Course. Uh, Ted and I have talked about this a lot. We go to the Bravo yep. 3 conference, and we see a lot of the, the explosive canine guys taking canine classes when they should really be taking explosive familiar, familiarization classes. They're like, yeah, my agency won't send me to any of the you know week, two-week-long ones. Well, here's a couple days in Las Vegas, May 30th and 31st. It's, it's a good one to check out. June 3rd to the 7th is a nose scent work trainer class. This is pretty cool. You would be surprised the dogs that Cameron can get to, to do detection or scent work. You know, there's a whole industry of competition, you know, that a lot of civilians are involved in with scent detection. And he can get all kinds of dogs that you wouldn't even think of to do pretty cool competition level scent work. June 3rd to the 7th is a great way to go learn that stuff. One of the things that Ted and I harp on all the time is canine supervision. We've all been at those agencies where they throw a guy in there. You're a sergeant, you're a lieutenant. You're okay, you are now in charge of the canine unit. You may not know a damn thing about being in charge of a canine unit or what they do, how, how to mitigate some of their issues, what you're doing. You, uh, just because you're a sergeant or lieutenant doesn't mean you know shit all about canines. So you gotta go get some training. They have a supervisor's class in September, September 23rd to the 25th in Las Vegas. I've been to Las Vegas every month of the year. September is my favorite. It is hot. It is not too hot. It's a great place to be. September 23rd to the 25th, canine supervision class. All of those can be found on silverstatecanine.com. Speaking of people that are really good trainers, uh, Pat Nolan is doing an online e-caller thing. So Pat does and has trained with every three-letter agency and some of the four-letter agencies that you can think of and with every military unit and everything else, and he's doing some stuff that's uh, really cool with e-callers. Um, in fact, the dude was training dogs before e-callers were even invented. He's out on the East Coast. If you can't get out there and get in person with him, him and his wife, Connie, are doing a online seminar, uh, onlineobediencetraining.com or patnolan, N-O-L-A-N.com, where you can sign up for the online e-caller course and kind of see the ins and outs of how he uses uh, the e-caller as one of the OG ninjas of that, you know, discipline. Uh, even if you're not able to watch the course, it still is available to you anytime after the fact, after you sign up. So it, it'll be in your online library. So onlineobediencetraining.com and patnolan.com is where you need to go. So with that, yeah, let's get started. Eric, who do we got tonight? Ted and I decided we want to get back and do a whole series of episodes that revolve around training. Um, we've done a lot of things, some pretty good 
uh, interviews of folks, you know, telling pretty harrowing stories in the working dog world and things that they've been through and all that. But uh, we wanted to get back into sharing knowledge with folks. One of the things that we get hit up about a lot is decoy classes. I'd like, we see that it's on a lot of uh, forums. We get messages all the time about decoy. Who's doing a decoy class? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? And one of the guys that I always send them to, to at least check out, is uh, our friend Carlos Ramirez. We've seen Carlos at several seminars doing things. He's pretty well known in this industry. Uh, he is not just a decoy guy. He's a pretty full service canine training. Uh, the funny thing is, Ted, I don't really think I ever told you this. There's a guy that lives here at the lake where I live who has a, uh, a Malinois. His name is Evan. Evan and I are, are friends. We see each other, you know, from time to time. And I see him out, out front of the lake doing these, uh, doing obedience with this Malinois. I'm like, this, this fucking dog's pretty tight, man. And I'm like, I, one day I'm like, hey, who did your training? Where'd you go with, where'd you get that dog? He goes, oh, Carlos. Like, no shit. <laughs> the dog, and Evan's doing a good job with him. And then we were at Street Tactics Seminar in Albany. Carlos and I had breakfast one morning and we had, it, it was a fascinating conversation. I learned a lot about him uh, from his past, uh, like playing, playing volleyball on like a world stage, like a world level volleyball player. But when you see how tall he is, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like fucking him and JJ. Right. <laughs> so, so we wanted to bring Carlos on today to talk about decoy development, how he, what he, what he talks about, what he sees, uh, the biggest mistakes, the how he does his classes in kind of a progression of what he teaches, things he absolutely does not teach uh, at these classes, and things that he sees people doing that he he personally believes is probably a mistake. So, without further ado, we w- want to welcome Carlos Ramirez. Carlos, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Totally. Man. I've been I've been wanting to have you on for a while. We've talked, Ted and I, uh, and Alicia have talked. But you're always fucking traveling, dude. You're all over the place. So. Yeah, man. I've actually been getting even busier and busier. It's been it's great though. I, I'm loving it. I'm I'm very glad that it's going this way because this is exactly what I was looking for. So. Yeah, you got a new yeah. job though, right? So. Yes. Yes, I do. Where are you at now? So right now I'm uh, currently the director of Canine Operations for iCanine and Extreme Concepts. No, oh, you're down with Landon and the boys, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, good. I started out here um, back in October more doing a specific contract, helping them get some dogs out. And after spending some time out here and spending some time with Landon, uh, we discussed the future that he had for the company and everything, the ways I could help him. And we figured out that, you know, those things lined up. And he brought me on board and honestly, it's been great. He just gave me a lot of freedom to, to do things the way that I believe is the proper way to do it. And man, it's been working great. So as of December, that's when I started full time out here in Aniston and Birmingham. Yeah, I've actually been down to that facility when they, uh, back before them and the other company, I think split or it was whatever, yeah. but the other company next door when they had the, uh, the mud triathlon or the mud mm-hmm. biathlon thing where we run with the dogs. Yeah, and uh, I went down for the first year, and it's like a fucking video game. They have an entire decommissioned army base down there, which is the facility that they train in. Yeah, we have the former barracks um, right out here exactly. in Aniston, and we have over what is it, Fort buildings. McClellan? I don't, it's yeah, like, Fort yeah, McClellan. There you go. Yeah, we have the the former barracks for, for Fort McClellan. There used to be the old um, MP barracks for the Marines, as well as some barracks for the chemical school, I believe, for the army. So um, we have a lot of a lot of uh, room out here for playing and doing all kinds of stuff with training. We have pl- over 40 buildings, close to 300 acres. 
So yeah, definitely big, big facilities. And lots of mud and fucking snakes. I can attest oh to that. Oh my god! Yes, sir. <laughs> a I, I can, that. I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, and they're just, they're just starting to come out right now too. Oh, man, pass. I went yeah. to a uh, weapons of mass destruction class in Anniston, and it's probably the drunkest I've ever been at one of those seminars <laughs> ever. <laughs> the last day, dude. That place, that thing is no joke, man. That it's. For those of you in law enforcement, they do this weapons of mass destruction class down there. The government puts on is totally free. I think they're still doing it. It has, we had, uh, I think, prime rib on the last day. Like the best food. Even So even if you want to go down there and learn about uh, anthrax and all this shit, you will eat like a fucking king. Well, it's the feds, though. I mean, those dudes yeah, are yeah, around. exactly. Black and hot security <laughs> and, down there. It's a good time. Yeah. And we have the, the FEMA campus is also right next to us. So all this area is really compromised of, you know, pretty high value uh, departments and stuff like that. Right. That's awesome. So, Carlos, yeah. why don't we go? Um, typically, we like to kind of go back a little bit, uh, get a little bit of background from somebody, kind of where they grew up, things that they got into, where they got started into dogs, and then go from there, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I grew up in, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. And when I was down there, I grew up in a horse farm. I, my family, we, since I can remember, we all had um, horses. I grew up in a horse farm. And as you can imagine, my job always was to go clean after the horses, take care of the horses, and everything that relates to cleaning, basically. Never anything training, nothing like that until, you know, you grow up older. But definitely grew up in a farm taking care of animals. It's kind of what I've known my whole life. And um, when I was over there, I, like you said at the beginning, I played volleyball. I played for the Puerto Rico national team. I played for um, over, you know, since I was 12 years old, 11 years old, I started playing in the national team program. And I grew up through the, through the steps. And um, that allowed me to see a lot of countries, you know, travel the world with the, with the team and, and participate at a pretty high level. All of those things uh, helped me out to get a scholarship to Ohio State where I went and I played in the Division One, and, um, you know, that further helped me get my career. Like, you know, probably most of us, you try a lot of other things, man, but dogs and animals keep, keep pulling you. They, they, they keep pulling you to go back and keep working with animals. So um, after trying different things, and I mean, I worked in construction, I went to culinary school as well. I tried so many different things and nothing really got, caught my attention enough to continue doing it and dedicate to it. I just didn't have a passion for it. And um, one day when I'm back at my, my horse farm and my family, I'm just messing around training the, the farm dogs just to roll over, do just stupid stuff. And I had somebody come over and tell me, hey, you know what? Maybe you can do that for a living. And they said it kind of like in a you know, smart ass way. Hey, you can train dog, uh, horses, but maybe you can train some dogs. And, you know, that was kind of making fun of me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to look into that because I actually like this. And that's when I first got into actually knowing what it is a cannon unit, like what goes behind it. I started researching into that and I was like, man, that's it. There's, there's nothing else I want to do. And after that, I you know, started doing some research online and looking around and I was able to come across the uh, Tom Rose School. And in the Tom Rose School, that's where I got uh, my former training, you know, my official training. I, that's where I started everything. And I completed the professional course, the master's course. And then as you guys very well know, in 10 month experience, you're a master trainer. So that's <laughs> enough right. to get you started. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it was a very, you know, very eye opening when you get out of there and then, you know, I actually know nothing. 
um, I'm supposed to be out here with all this you know, knowledge and all of it, but how you actually apply it. Through that, I, um, I decided that, you know, I, I definitely need to go learn from someone. I cannot just go out, you know, keep going around with the little knowledge that I got after 10, 11 months in school and call myself a dog trainer, you know, that's, that's, it just didn't feel right because the work I was putting out, I, I knew there was a lot of missing, you know, and the, something good about social media is that it exposed the knowledge that is out there, you know, the, all the things that are out there that you could be doing, which highlights what you're not doing. Um, when that happened, you know, I started looking around, trying to find um, mentors and who I could learn from. And that's where, you know, life takes you places and things are meant to be. And then it happened that I landed somewhere close to Ocala, Florida, where I was working out of Gainesville. And next to that, Ted very well knows uh, about Wayne Dodge. And he was close to there. And I, he allowed me, I got fortunate enough that he allowed me to come and train under him for a little bit. And I worked with him for close to a year. Whenever he had a chance, you know, we got together. He was a very busy man with a lot of things going on in his life, but definitely put some time into me and, and taught me probably a fraction that is so, so small you can't measure it of what he knows, but that helped me definitely get started and get uh, my foot on the door with police departments, volunteering a lot, a lot of free work. Just whoever needed me, you know, just show up and get bit, basically, and trying to get as much experience as possible. Then after that... I got, one day I got fortunate enough that uh, Mike Rutland offered me a position at his kennels as a kennel master. And I obviously jumped on board as, as quick as I could. And then after that, it kind of all took off from there, really. I, I owe everything that I right now have built pretty much to Mike um, and Wayne. That's, that was pretty much it, man. After, after I left Mike over there, after working with him for, for almost two years, it was time to kind of move on and take go on my own, and he was all for it. He helped me out. He helped me set up my own thing and gave me a lot of ad advice. Up to this day, you know, whenever I need something, I call him, and he helps me out. So with their support and all of it, I just started, and here we are, man. So yeah. What is it about horse people that makes you guys such good dog people? I'll tell you what. We take no shit because you have to deal with a, such a big animal. You can't take no shit, so... Horses it's freak a, me the fuck out. I, I will go on record now. Horses scare the shit out of me. I'm not scared <laughs> of dogs, but an animal that big shouldn't be scared of anything. That's all I got to say. And they're scared of literally everything. And they get all wonky and they stomp on you and bite you and all kinds of crazy shit. I'm out. Nope. Nope. Horses scare me. <laughs> hey man, I, got kicked, um, I got kicked dead center in, this, in the center of my chest when I, uh, I was helping a farrier, uh, you know, put new shoes in a horse. And the right. horse kicked me. And I was so close to the horse that he smacked me into the back of a wall, cracked my sternum, and knocked me out. Just knocked me out completely unconscious. And I was super close to the horse. Then the doctors told me, if you would have been further back, that the leg would have caught more flight, you know, more speed, you would be dead right now. I was within a foot of this horse, and he and knocked me out and cracked my sternum. And this is why I don't mess with horses. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that's why when you have a yeah. uh -huh. sixty-pound dog running at you, you know it's not really that impressive. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> nope. So, which point in your career, your, your professional development, um, did you really take to the decoy stuff? It really started when I started working with Wayne right after I uh, finished Tom Rose. So when I was at Tom Rose, I got very, very lucky that I learned from uh, two great decoys. I mean, when I was there, Jay Kemp, 
uh, does a lot of PSA. He's out in Colorado. He was my first instructor that I worked with. And man, that guy could definitely work a dog, you know? And he was like, oh, yeah. wow, I, all the things this guy can do, like, look at that. I want to do him, that, you know? I want to be able and, to do it. Him and Sean Siggins are two of the biggest mofos you will ever meet yeah. that are the most athletic, fastest dudes that can work a dog. I swear to God, Jake Kemp and Sean Siggins are... They're both over 200 pounds and move like they're my size. So, no, they're they're both fantastic decoys. Jake's big big Jake is what we call him because yeah, there's also Jake. little because there's also little Jake, but big Jake, yeah. the big Jake is awesome. Yeah, little Jake actually graduated from the Masters course with me. Oh, yeah. from Tom Rose. And um but yeah, so I, I got started with Jake. He let me have my first bite. Um my first dog that I ever caught was Curly. I think people who work in PSA know that dog of it um, from a couple of years yep. back crazy dog to catch right after uh jake uh right when i was in the transitions between professionals and masters jake took off and that's when dave came in so i was you know fortunate enough to also be able to work with dave and gardner i think as you pronounce his last name so i you know whatever i got started with that foundation i feel like i'm very fortunate that it was with those two guys that man they both of them can work it out i remember dave walking in with his bite suit that was a tux he had even a little like velcro bow tie <laughs> man and that was so cool you know i'm new to dogs i'm seeing these guys like definitely put on a show out there working dogs and then people like dave that you talk to them and he wants to teach you you know you, you just mention something to dave and just set a 15 minute aside because he's going to tell you all about it and um having that foundation from those guys definitely make a something that marked me and then having the opportunity to work with Wayne and anybody who has stepped on a field or somewhere where Wayne is working dogs will definitely change the way you see the canine industry and the way you see how dogs are worked. It's something completely impressive and it's it's something that I haven't really seen anyone else be able to do. So whenever I saw that, I was like, that's it, you know, confirm this is everything I want to do. And from that day on, that's literally everything I did. I slept in couches. I worked for free, whatever I needed to do and able to be able to be on a suit and to be able to work in with departments or the military. I was there no matter what it took. Yeah. You know, Wayne, after, you know, meeting you and talking with Ritland and then actually meeting Wayne um, more than once down in Florida, he's on the short list for and just because of his background to come on the show and he's still reluctant to do so so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, one of the, that's part of the magic of wayne he's, i know you know I the know. best on the industry probably still oh and yeah I, I know one that can wear dogs like him but you know what he doesn't he doesn't brag about it he does you know he's the most no, I know. person that you can talk about him. I know. I'm. We're still working on him. So yep. if <laughs> if everybody's listening to this, somebody, if you know Wayne, you tell him. Be like, hey, you should go on and talk to Eric and Ted. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> For sure. So you worked with Big Jake, and you worked with uh, Dave, and you worked with Wayne, which you know is kind of similar to my story because my mentors were very. At the time, you didn't know what you didn't know, right? So exactly. you're learning. You're learning how to do shit correctly. You're learning. You're not learning mistakes. You're not learning. And you're learning with very experienced dogs. You're learning all these things, and you're like, oh fuck, this is easy, right? So this is a very similar story to what my mentor or well, my little my decoy now Josh is going through, where he works dogs that know what the fuck they're doing. And like he's like, oh, this, is, this decoy shit's easy. And all of a sudden, you stick him somewhere where the dogs don't know what they're doing. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with this thing? So, you know, talk a little bit about how you go through the process. You start learning with decoy as a decoy from Wayne and from Big Jake and from uh, Dave. And then, you know, what you learned, how how that progressed, and 
you know, kind of carry us into where we're sitting at now. Absolutely. So when I was uh, at school working with Jake and Dave, um, you know, like you said, very experienced dogs that are making you look good. You know, the dog is working you. You're not working the dog. And um, you're just following the routine that you're taught. And they just basically, because obviously like everyone, they teach you first how to catch a dog safely. I don't care about you teaching the dog anything because you don't know anything to teach. You just have to safely catch this dog. You have to get over that oh shit moment and be able to catch this dog. And yeah. you have Curly looking at you with that psycho look that he had, and he was looking at you, and Jake hands you a shit and sleeve. Be like, here you go, just catch him. You know, it's it's a way of catching them safely. So when I started there, it you think you're better than you are. You think that you, your skill can help these dogs. So when I left the school, and before I got with Wayne, this is where my realization came of, I don't know shit. You start working with clients' dogs. And of course, when you're new and you have no experience, nobody's going to bring you the good dogs. Nobody's going to bring you the PH1 dog that you spend 15 grand on for you to catch. You know, they're going to bring you the dog that pretty much doesn't want to bite. And they're like, hey, can you help me? Because everybody else turned me off. Everybody else turned me down. You know, so um, when I started working with these dogs that were not as good, dogs that didn't know what to do or even genetically didn't have what it took, that's when you realize all the holes that you have in your training. That's when I started realizing, man, I, there's a lot of things that I know. There's a lot of ways I can't help these dogs. And that's when the realization, you know, that that's where I feel like a lot of decos, you have to come up to that realization of I'm not there yet. And a lot of things that I see with social media nowadays, everybody has a need to chronic, you know, in their, to have the chronicles on their Facebook or in their Instagram of what they're doing daily which is great. I mean, I'm all for it. I I myself had pretty good success on social media, but there's also something to be said about documenting your learning, what you're doing or what you don't know. And that, that comes across way different than if you're showing everybody what you do know. Because when it happened to me, you know, the Chinese proverb, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. It's that simple. So whenever you feel the need to tell the industry what you know, the industry will have the need to tell you how much you don't. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, something that I always try to advise to new people that are, oh man, I wanna be a decoy in Instagram. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Social media is a great way to do business um, and to put knowledge out there, but just know where you're at, know where your skill is at, and know that a lifetime is not enough to learn everything to work the dogs. Just, we just don't live long enough to know this stuff. Um, so that's why now after however many years that the canine industry has been progressing, we're getting to a lot, a lot more information. So the trainers that are getting this knowledge are starting with a better base than they did before. But still, we need so much, you know, we have to learn so much more. That's a big part of realizing, hey, I'm not there yet. I don't know this yet, you know, or just this is what I'm working with. This is what I'm learning. If anybody has advice, please let me know. Reach out to those ones that are doing what you want to do and you know that no, they, they're doing it right. So that's a big part of coming to the realis- realization of I don't know. I need to know more. I need to further my, my education. Whether that'll be with seminars, apprenticing under somebody, just being honest to a police department and being like, hey, I'm not that experienced, but I definitely can catch a dog, you know? Just, I would love to hang out with you guys. Because you can learn from everyone, even if it's how not to do something. Uh, multiple times I've been sitting on a field watching people work dogs and I'm like, well, I'm not going to be doing that. You know, so it's, it's about that realization, though, that you need to learn more. You always have to learn more. 
So once I realized that, that man, I have so much further to go, my whole focus turned into that, just learning. How can I learn from, and I want to learn from the best. I want to learn from the guys who I look up to, the, the guys who I look at their work and it makes sense to me. What they're explaining, yes, that makes sense. Because some other people just use the because I said so. And because I, I, that's not enough. That's never enough for me. That's something that for the guys that I'm helping and that I'm teaching, I will never tell you because I said so. Because if I right. myself don't know the answer, I'll tell you, man, we got to figure this shit out because I don't know. Right. So it's something that, you know, that's, that's the big part is the people who you understand and you agree with what they're doing. Because there's a lot of people blowing smoke, man, out there and like smoke and mirrors. That's all it is, you know. And yep. People, unfortunately, see that on social media and then they go imitate it without knowing that first of all, it's wrong or even why they were doing it to begin with. So um, definitely that realization of, man, I need to further my career. I need to learn more and be humble all throughout because there's always somebody that knows better than you. There's always somebody that knows more than you, no matter what. Yeah, I remember, shit, it's been almost three years now, but three years ago, I did a, before HRD was a thing, I did a high-risk deployment seminar in Florida, and I asked you to decoy. I'll be 100% honest with you, the model of how I ran that seminar and how we went and seek out, so the thing about HRD is when we do those seminars, we bring our own decoys. I don't, I don't ask, or well, we and me and Eric and Ray and Alicia don't ask the hosting departments to provide decoys. Um, we go and find them. And we do that because of this reason. And the reason that we're talking about right now. So, you know, when, when I reached out to you and asked if you wanted to do it, you know, I, I did it because I knew you were a good decoy and I didn't have to give you a ton of instruction. Like you, I knew you know how to work a suit. I knew how to work a dog. I knew all those other things. But when you came in, like, I mean, we did a lot of things that I think were probably pretty foreign to a lot of everybody else there. And we moved fairly quickly into some things that were fairly different than I think a lot of those dogs had ever seen. And that's what that entire process is about. And I personally had no reservations about you at all. No, neither did anyone else there. But that that's kind of the point. And it, and it kind of hits home at exactly what you're talking about is, you know, decoying is, is definitely a skill and it is definitely a skill set. And, you know, I think you'll agree with me when I say this, but you, you'll be hard pressed outside of ring, outside of French ring and Mondio ring to find a decoy that is very skilled, that is not all, that is also not an accomplished trainer in their own right. And that's what we sort of kind of seek out. So when, you know, we do these HRD things and when we do these things around the country, we look for decoys. We had Jimmy Chilcott, we had Neil, you know, we had, uh, you know, my decoys, John, uh, Josh and Sean um, come because I know that they're good. And when I tell them we're doing this scenario, they know exactly what I want them to do. And that is a I can't tell you how valuable that is to maintaining a patrol dog. I mean, Eric will tell you that, you know, decoying, he makes his guys get in the suit all the time. And having access to those number of decoys is is invaluable. Oh, absolutely. There's something that I always speak with. Um with the law enforcement guys, and, and it's that, is you cannot just pick the new guy and put him in a suit to punish him or to just to haste them. Because what about the dog, you know? And and that's something that is very important for departments to have. And, and 
when me and Jay, you know, from Marin County Sheriff, they have an extremely successful canine unit. I mean, super, you work with them. Super successful canine. I mean, one, you, probably one of the most successful in Florida, if not that portion of the country, without a doubt. Absolutely. I mean, I work with multiple canine units all over the southeast, in Texas. I mean, all over. And man, when I'm talking about consistency from dog to dog, that's Marion County Sheriff right there. They and find shit and bite people, that is for sure. Oh my God, and you know what? And the sheriff loves it, and he puts that on Facebook all the time, and he supports the canine unit like no other. And man, and they have, they have Jeremy Nix. I mean, they have an amazing trainer with over 17 years of just as a handler. I mean, this guy yeah. has been there since he was crappy training to great training, and now he's training, which I think is superb on the, what he's accomplishing. And it, it all has to do with the results, you know? Look at their track records. These guys are getting, man, catching, and you know how Ocala is. Ocala has <laughs> yeah. very bad guys, you know, when these guys are actually out there getting it done. And one of the reasons that they have that is because they put a lot of time into decoying. Like Jeremy makes their guys jump in the suit, not just to, you know, to catch a dog, not to learn. He sends them to seminars. He makes them spend time just with me when, I, when I'm there and I can help them out. He really put emphasis on that because the value of a decoy to show the dog and the handler what they're going to find in real life, it's invaluable. You know, that's, that's something that you cannot replace. Because that's what it's all about, showing the dog what evil looks in training so they don't have to figure it out in the street when their life lives are at stake. Exactly. So that's why the decos is a, is a very important job. And something that I always try to, to tell my guys that I'm teaching, you have to take this seriously. Because this is as serious as it gets for this handler and that dog. This is what they're going to face in real life. So this is not something to, to show off. This is not something to be popular on social media. None of that. This is about making these guys stronger and to show them what a three-time felon that doesn't want to go back to jail forever looks like. You know, what that looks like inside a dark room. That's what it's about for me, at least. And you can only do that taking this with passion and doing it really well. And that's, that's something invaluable for the departments. Absolutely. We're going to go ahead and take a second here, uh, take a break for a second uh, so we can put in some of our great sponsors here. Uh, we'll be back here and we're going to talk to Carlos about his decoy development, how he does it in his seminars, and uh, if you go learn from him what you can expect. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high-drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K. Nine Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. 
Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's talk about training and conferences. We know training budgets are always tight and that's why the crew from HITS goes the extra mile for you. Let's be honest here. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like HITS. It has now gotten so large that the 2019 HITS will be held at the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. Experience matters when it comes to putting on a show like this and when it comes to police dog trainers. The guys who run HITS are still working police dogs, just like you. There's going to be three full days of training with five classes classes in session at a time. Toffers are going to range from patrol work and dog selection to case law, to search and rescue, to canine first aid, and everything in between. They had 1,100 people in attendance last year in D.C. and are planning for more this year. And it wouldn't be a conference without the vendors. The McCormick Place has enough room for 100 vendor booths. You can meet the people that make the equipment you guys use every single day. The vendors make coming to hits an experience like nothing else in this industry, plus the free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Last year, they gave away about 40 grand in cash and prizes from vendors. I expect Chicago to be bigger. So come join the crew from Working Dog Radio in Chicago during the week of August 13th through the 16th at McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I know handlers and I know you people wait to the last minute to do everything. Don't be that guy. Head over to Hits Canine. Dot net. That's the letter K, the number nine, to get registered and save money on your registration for doing it early. There's also information about the discounted hotel rooms. That's August 13th through the 16th in Chicago. If you didn't write it down, we got the link in the show notes. Hey guys, Eric here. If you follow Ted and I, you know that we've been traveling all over the United States doing seminars. Every time I do one of those seminars, I like to ask the handler where they got their dog. Every time they tell me Southern Coast Canine, I know we're going to have a good time. I know it's going to be a good dog. We have been seeing a lot of their dogs at a lot of different seminars, detection, dual purpose, new handlers, experienced handlers, guys that have gone back to them over and over again. Uh, We just did the Bravo 3 conference recently down in Daytona and Southern Coast Canine brought out three green dogs. Like they just got them off the plane from Europe and they were bangers, all three of them. They killed the scenarios. They'd never seen any of that stuff, but their selection process is great. Check out their website, southerncoastk9.com. They're offering handler schools, trainer schools, supervisor schools. They got uh, a great relationship with Tripwire, so they're doing explosive stuff down there. Every year they do a huge detection seminar. Check out southerncoastk9.com. I've been really impressed, honestly, with the dogs that I've seen come from them. southerncoastk9.com. Good people, great facility. Check them out. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast, and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether be poppers and droppers, whether it be e-collars or now they've got the new GPS one, which Eric has been playing with and he really, really likes it. So what I want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com. You get a 10% off of any item over $200 and you use the discount code WDR10. That's just like the initials of the show, Working Dog Radio, WDR10. Hit them up. 
Hey guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media, Van SK9, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer, I own dog daycare, and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out, rayallen.com. They've been doing a long time. Great customer service, super high integrity at that place, rayallen.com. Put in promo code Working Dog Radio for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. RayAllen.com. Get on there. Click everything you need. Ship it all at once. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. Yo, everybody, let's talk about getting a job. Coast to Coast Canine is hiring experienced full-time and part-time drug and explosive detection canine handlers. If you're interested, shoot Peggy Heiser an email at pheiser, P-H-E-I-S-E-R at C2CK9.com. That's the letter C, the number two, the letter C, the number K, the number nine.com. What you have to have to be eligible for this is a minimum of three years knowledge in handling detection or training experience with law enforcement and military and large breed high drive dogs. You got to possess a trainer certification from a state recognized agency or national certification such as USPCA, NAPWADA, NNDDA, or something similar. You also need to have a knowledge and or experience as an instructor or a canine handler with a state recognized agency like the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. You got to speak fluent Spanish and English. If you have all that, they're willing to give you a competitive wage and employee benefits. Again, that's P. Heiser at C2CK9.com. Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full-service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number 9, training.com, and make your unit better. All right, we are back. Got Carlos Ramirez in here, very passionate about the decoy stuff. Um, I hope people are listening to this. Take heed to what he's saying. Um, You know, I got into canine in 2005, and it was the whole thing of, hey, go put the suit on and get out there, uh, or the sleeve mostly, um, and, and, you know, catching catching dogs, like literally catching dogs, uh, not knowing what the hell you're doing, and uh, there's, there was no real, what do I say, consideration for the dog. Um, you know, it's a little bit different if you take the guy, the decoy, and stick him, tell him, stand in this room, look at the wall, and don't move. Uh, you know, you can get some <laughs> Until we tell you there. to, yeah. <laughs> right. You can get some new guys in there a little bit. They can do a little bit of that stuff for you. But, Carlos, when you have your decoy seminars, you don't, you're not starting day one throwing a dude out in the field and catching a 30-yard run, I assume, right? What do you mean? Isn't that what everybody does? Yeah. <laughs> Put this no, on no. a run, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See who's faster. That dog can go 35 miles an hour. How about you? <laughs> yeah. No, but um, no, definitely not. Um, 
I always, something that I learned, um, it's always have a plan before you start working any dog. That is in detection, obedience, bite work, it doesn't matter, have a plan. So that's something that I always like, whenever we start our decoy courses, um, we start with teaching them how to plan, how to safely catch a dog, and also how to, the the mechanics of why, um, how to reward the dog, all of that stuff, all the, basically the theory of it is what we always cover first. Um, I put a lot, a lot of emphasis into the safety of the dog. It's for me. It's one of the things that I see the most is the the where the dogs get hurt because of the decoy's fault, and that's something that I'm, you know, I, I have a mission on trying to make this as safest as it can be for all the decoys out there. Um, so I really focus a lot on that, and um, and try to focus on the theory of why we're doing what we're doing when we're in the suit. When you see a, a decoy in, in a video or something, screaming, rolling around, dropping to the ground, why he did that on that specific moment? And not just that, also how is the dog interpreting what you're doing as a decoy? Because obviously we're doing all of this to communicate with the dog, how is he receiving it? So um, we always try to, to hammer that in at the very beginning, safety and the why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, one of the that, biggest thing. That, that's one thing I want to address. Like, you know, I call it the uh, everybody's seen like the blow up guys at like a car lot that looks like a fucking like gumpy guy, like going mm-hmm. like up and down, up and down, up and down. And when you watch people post videos and things, you know, they move like that character guy thing mm-hmm. whatever the hell that thing is Gumby, yeah. and and every time they move i'm like what are you why are you moving like you're are you rewarding the dog for pulling for pushing for gripping hard like what are you doing like why are you and that's something that i think um that you and i both do in, in the d courses that we do is that we're like this these are the behaviors that make a patrol dog a patrol dog these are the behaviors that we reinforce these are the behaviors that we need to make sure are maintained and that is what creates a good decoy and that's what i right it's what you teach and it's what i teach and i'm pretty sure that's what eric teaches too but you know like why are you moving because i see other people like fucking dance around and i mean they're i mean they're pulling and they're pushing they're doing the whole like i tell my guys i'm like if i ever see you do that fucking push and like yank thing Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I, I freak out if I see people do that. And I'm just like, I just fucking stop. Just stop. Take suit off. Or you're not allowed to decoy anymore. Like, don't. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, absolutely. Oh, and I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, you're like, and that's the thing. Like, I tell handlers all the time. I had this talk today with my handlers in handler school. I'm like, you're the asshole holding the leash. You cannot do anything to make that dog bite differently right now, other than absolutely. apply a little attention or apply a little tension on the leash to get that dog to re-engage or to get that dog to re-grip harder, but that's it. Like, you can't make mm-hmm. him bite fuller. You can't make him stay on. You can't do anything. At this point, your only job is to control leash tension and get somebody cuffed. Like, that's it. That's your job. Like, it, the exactly. dog's on autopilot. And if he's on autopilot and he sucks, it's not, I mean, that's my fault. And I don't do that. So, Yeah, and I a mean, big thing that I think is part of that is understanding that the dog decides what is a reward or what is punishment. Is, that is something that is, is key in the training, of, in decoy training. When, when you understand what that dog, that specific dog, because every dog is different. 
you know, to some dogs, when the dog bites harder and he gets in there, you go, ah, you scream a big scream in pain. And the dog is like, yes, I'm hurting this guy. But to some other dog, he might see that as like, whoa, that's too much. This guy just yelling in my face, you know? So the dog has to decide what is a reward and what is punishment. But you have to understand what the dog is doing. So that's one of the biggest thing I see in videos and when I'm out there watching other decoys work is the dog is already showing signs of I'm not liking this. I'm not handing this well. But they continue to add pressure because they don't they cannot even read that the dog said that's enough, you know. So I'm very big into building the dogs in steps of whenever he handles this, whenever I can add this little pressure and he bounces back, then I add a little more and then I add a little more. But I let the dog decide what is a reward, what is punishment, and when they're ready to move up to that next one. So, so when we're, when we're back, let's back up. When we're talking about, we've all heard it, we've all said it, the safely catching dogs, how you are, you're safely catching dogs. So at the beginning of a decoy training, uh, one of your seminars or something you're doing when you're maybe teaching a guy, what is your mechanics? How do you teach the mechanics in the early stages of catching a dog safely? So first I always, once they actually put on the suit, when we go into the practic, you know, practical part of it, um, first we usually start without the dog, um, just practicing the motion of what it is like to accept into your body all that weight and energy that's coming into you. Um, just without the dog, you know, we have to do it first with whichever way. I can even grab a broom and push your shoulder, you know, in the same way that a dog would because I want to see you pivot on that on the one leg. So we start with that basic motor skills that you need to be able to stay up in the suit. And then once we, we I see that they have the proper mechanics, then obviously we play, we start with just placing the dog in a bite and we focus on what they're going to reward. Before we even bring the dog out, we discuss what are we working on. And that's, like I said earlier, part of the planning phase. So we're gonna work on this dog's grip. Okay, perfect. So whenever the dog is safely on the bite, he's, you know, we have him on the per in the right spot. The dog is there in a safe manner. You know, somebody either placed him on the bite or just brought him very closely. Nothing of sending the dog a hundred yards in your first catch. You know, we put the dog right in there and then we focus on what we're working. We're working on better grips, so every time that dog pushes forward, you're gonna mark it. Every time, you know, and we focus on those little things because one of the aspects of being a new decoy, like I said earlier, is that oh shit moment. And I'm sure you guys have seen it when you put a new um, a dog on a new decoy and you're talking to them and they're not even listening to you. They're just, oh, yeah. their eyes are locked on the dog. Oh, and yeah. they're like, hey, can you please at least scream or something when they drive in? And they're nodding with their head, but they're doing nothing. They're just focused on the dog. And so I always like to just quick place bite on a simple technique of reward when they regrip, and we just let that oh shit moment get away from them, you know, and just kind of get it out of your system that the dog is biting you, but he's not gonna bite you, you know? And it's hard to comprehend that. So we, I always focus on that. Just first we do the, the motor skills. We have them move physically the way I, I think is the safest way to catch a dog. And then we place a dog in the bite. So, so many guys I see um, at classes and different things and training seminars and tra their, their group training believe that um, like what you do is all, all your bites, you just should be 100 yard runaways over and over and over again. And, and I don't know about you, when I'm teaching guys to decoy, I almost never, ever are they never long like that. Um, just yeah, because no. the ability to to mess the dog up. Do, how, do you get to that point with uh, in your classes with those guys? 
No, not at all. And actually, I don't even get to that point in my training. Um, I am completely and 100% against long sends. Um, I see no value to it on doing it repeatedly. Uh, I do obviously like to see a dog try it once and see how they react. But I'm, I'm still looking for the right answer. What is the benefit of sending a dog continuously 100 yards? What is the benefit for a dog? What is the dog getting out of it? Because that's what dog training is all about, right? Uh, of making the dog better. What is the dog getting out of it other than it looks cool? So um, Unfortunately, and I know most I have, certifications require it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. But ridiculous. that's the part of you prepare the dog, see how he does it once, and then there you go. The dog does it. You know, he. What dog have you seen that actually has the genetics and is being properly trained that doesn't just whole ass down there to flatten a motherfucker out, you know? It's something that it's very... <laughs> it's, like, it's, just, it's like fucking zero. Like, that's why we don't I mean, fucking train it, because they don't have to fucking do it. They don't need it. It's like no different than law enforcement saying pocking or stelling. Why are you saying that? The second you say Sheriff Canine Unit, the dog is lighting up. It's unnecessary. We don't need yeah. that. I um, tell all my guys, I told him today, I was like, his bike command is show me your hands. Exactly. His bike man is getting out of the truck. He get out of the car. He knows what he's gonna do. He's not gonna go pee or anything. He's gonna go get some. The lights are going. The the sirens are wailing. He knows what he's doing. So, but what is the dog getting out of it? And for me, the risk that comes with that is huge. I seen some of the best decoys in the industry have a dog in a long scent, and the dog tripped right before he jumped and nailed the decoy in the knee and hurt his neck. That it was yep. no one's error. Nobody made a mistake. Literally, the dog tripped right before he jumped. So, for me, I, I like to value to take in consideration the risk versus what you have to gain out of it. You know, and it's not me; it's the dog because that's who we're who we're teaching. So, long sense look great. They look really cool on video and all of that. But for me, they have a very specific purpose. Like Eric said, you know, certification. And all of that, but you don't need to continuously train that. You you try it once. The dog does it. He likes to rain. He has a good entry. He's he's golden, man. He's he's good. Are you? Uh, I, I'm sure we know the answer to this, but there is um, a group of people that that don't teach targeting per se. They uh, the dog gets what the dog gets. What what's your theory on that? My theory on that is that I will teach the dog the most efficient way to take down a human. The, that may be the, the targets, you know, the 10 targets that are presented in the human body. That's the most efficient to control a human being. Now, that being said, when the dog is in a real fight, he can bite whatever he wants in order to achieve his goal of bringing a suspect down. So I do teach the targeting just because the, I've, I understand the, the, the physical aspect of it. I mean, and everybody that has put on a suit understands this. Why do dogs bite in the bicep? If you ever had a dog in your bicep ripping you up, you'll understand why because he'll drop you real quick. You know, the pain compliance is huge. So if a dog bites in the bicep, right in the shoulder, very close to your face, versus he's biting your hand, what, which one do you think you're more likely to handle? You know, so I do wanna teach this dog these targets that we know are the best way to maybe handle a man, but whenever it's on, it's on. Just, you know, whichever way the dog gets it, he, that's real life. So for the handlers listening to this, this is what I want you to listen to. Targeting is extremely important. There's a lot of people that talk about the dog takes what he can take and everything else. So we have specific case law that talks about how a dog bite is not lethal. Because the dog bite is not lethal, it shouldn't be life altering. So we don't want dogs removing 
hand, like fingers and calf muscles and all kinds of crazy exactly. shit. So we teach a, a grip, and Jason Davis from Florida hates that word. So there's a the difference between a grip and a bite. A bite is what a shit rat, hood rat, pit bull does to somebody that jumps into the yard. Mm-hmm. They bite somebody. A grip is a learned, conditioned, taught behavior. A grip is firm, full, and calm. It's all the way to the back of the molars. They bite hard, and they stay with the first target they get a hold of. Moving on to targeting, the dog is taught, like Carla said, 10 targets of opportunity, which basically mean anything that's an appendage that's not a body bite because you can't get a full grip on a body bite. So if we can't get a full grip, it's not actually a grip. So it's not a valid target. So by that, we mean we need to bite your arms or your legs. We don't bite hands, face, feet, or groin because those are life-altering injuries. And second of all, I and Carlos and Eric don't want to decoy dogs <laughs> biting my nuts or my fucking yeah. face. So or when we go through for the females, yeah, there. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when we go through all of that, you know, then there's case law behind everything I just said. We don't want dogs to fucking. We don't want them to fuck people up. Well, they are there for pain compliance. And ironically enough, we want them to cause as little damage as possible. Exactly. And people are probably going to listen to this and think I'm fucking crazy. But we want the dogs to cause as little damage as possible. So when we teach that firm, full, and calm, pushing grip, it makes it much easier to get handcuffs on somebody. Eric, how hard is it to foot and put handcuffs on somebody when the dog is yanking around and you have to fight the dog for control? Impossible. Not well, impossible, so. But pretty damn hard. Right. So if you're not having to fight the dog for control, you can immediately put handcuffs on. Then, because of every district, with the exception of one, has said that we don't have to remove a dog until you're unhandcuffed. And the last one holdout just had a case that was published in 2018. or Well, one of the last holdouts was published in 2018 that it's pretty much a done deal. You can leave a dog on a grip for officer safety until... They are detained in handcuffs or under positive control, which means you've got somebody else there. And then you can manually remove the dog. But the point is we teach targeting and grip because it's a good course of action. It's not because it's not because it's something that we're fucking making up because nobody else can do it because it's good policy and it's good procedure. Yeah. So and it's something that I feel like in, in canine, we have been given a gift, the gift that we can use these dogs to bite people. Right. But How many countries in the world you can't? Like Bradshaw talks about that a lot. There are a lot of yeah. countries like and violent ass fucking countries. Yeah. Yeah. And the guy told me literally a police dog here can get maybe once a year if get a bite. You know, right. We have this gift which comes with the responsibility that we have to protect it. And we have to do it as much as we can, be doing it safe and causing the least amount of damage so we can continue to use this resource. Right. Because if he gets abused, if he gets used, misused, because I'm sorry, but I, I see that as misuse of a canine when they're using in an abusive manner, we're going to lose this privilege. We're going we're gonna to lose the rights that we have also right now. And, and to expand a little bit on what we were saying earlier, when we're talking about non-life altering, you having a limp is life altering. You being it, not being able to hold on to your cell phone properly to write something because your your hand is messed up with nervous damage, that's life altering. 
So we these targets have been done for a specific reason because they cause the least amount of damage onto the body. Now, of course, I'm all for when the guy puts a fight or when the dog needs to do her job, go tear him up. I'm all for it. And those have worked the dogs that I train all you for can't, it. But you can't control what people are gonna do, but we exactly. go to we can't we go to an excessive amount of lengths to make sure that we cause the least amount of damage. And everyone laughs when I say this, and you're going to laugh when I say it, but don't put your hand anywhere you wouldn't put your dick. Now, we don't Absolutely. we don't teach hand bites, but if somebody is laying under a deck and there's one of my guys sends their dog under there and a dude sticks his fist out, I, that dog's going to bite it. Well, if you try to, yeah, if you try to slap the dog as I mean, he's coming to bite you, you're gonna get bit. I mean, one of our dogs had a taint bite where he tried to Heisman the dog, and the dog and the dude and the dog grabbed the guy by the wrist and pinned his hand against his ass and his bottom canine in and ripping this dude's taint, and it, he bit a hand and a groin in one bite. But this dog Trying has twenty. 20- him with his own fist well he didn't do a very (laughs) fuck me so i'll take this fist and shove it up your ass uh, well this specific dog i want to mention his name but that's a that's that's dog mentality but i mean he pinned this dude's hand against his leg and what and managed to also tear this dude's taint so he would get a hand bite and a taint bite in one bite which is nothing we planned on but the dude stuck his hand in his mouth i mean what were we supposed to do i mean what are you supposed to do man like I, I always mean, tell my guys, we, we have to do everything we can. So when we go to court, you can say, I did everything I could. There's nothing else I could have done to make that and, go differently. And that leads me to the whole transition bites with a few people that you started this whole thing out talking about how people are wanting to be Instagram famous and Facebook famous and whatever else. But there is a, uh, I'll call them a conclave because we can't really call them a group of trainers. And there's about four or five of them that preach transition bites and preach dogs, quote unquote, fighting humans and being able to recognize weapon hands. And, uh, (laughs) that's exactly what I sound like every time I see one of those (laughs) fucking idiots post something. Um, you know, one of the guys, his name is Josh and he has refused to come on the show. He actually had a, he, he did a seminar uh, with a department that I talked to after Eric and I did a seminar or after Eric and I did a, a, a presentation and, and, you know, they came to us and they were like, you know, this is bullshit. This guy was teaching these transfer bites and weapon recognition and everything else. And the fact is Josh was ignorant of case law. He was ignorant of anything that has to do with police canine work. And the motherfucker lived in Canada. And so, and if you can't figure out who I'm talking about, if I just fucking email me the host at workingdogradio.com and I'll tell you who it is. And, you know, there's a guy that lives in Montana and a guy that lives in Salt Lake City or Vegas. I can't remember where that goofball lives. And um, they're part of that whole, that whole group. And they have a fairly large following. And the issue is, but there are departments listening to them. They managed to get in front of a very large canine unit and managed to come down and put on a seminar and thankfully that sergeant and eric and i talked to him and or well i did and that guy has his head on straight and he knows what he's doing and he he recognized what was going on and but they're fucking terrible dog trainers and they are terrible fucking decoys but there are people listening to them and if you are listening Mm -hmm. to this right now 
if you were listening to this and you hear this, those guys are fucking scam artists and they are terrible. They will get you in trouble. They will get you killed or they will get your dog shot or you shot or they'll get your ass sued and fired. I don't know. Pick one. They're all fucking bad, but you're going to get shot. Your dog's going to get shot. You're going to get fired. Somebody's going to fucking fired. They don't give a fuck. I about think proper procedure and policy and proper biting and targeting. Yeah. They don't. A lot of the, a lot of that uh, for me, it comes down to decoys should stick to teaching a dog how to bite and they should leave tactics to people who know tactics. That's something that I'm huge on. I never been in the military. I never been in law enforcement. So I know dick about that stuff, but yep. I can make a dog bite harder and I can put a dog in a bad spot. So that I focus on. But if you notice, anytime I do a seminar and it includes anything with law enforcement or anything like that, I guarantee you I'm going to have a law enforcement guy with me because I can't teach that stuff. So it's very important for a decoy to understand what is your role as a decoy. And a lot of those guys that you're seeing, I see all these tactical shit being being done with these dogs and all this other stuff when we should be focusing on the dog biting or whatever it is that we're working on. And... That, that's very big, you know, know your place and what you're there to do. And then also, once again, what are the dogs getting out of it? Because, man, I, I agree with you. I see the videos of some of this stuff and I'm like, what the, what the fuck is happening here? You know, like, what is the dog supposed to be getting out of this? And what is that dog, that, that decoy doing? You know, it's, it's hard to understand. For me, I like to stick to decoying and teaching a dog how to bite better. And whenever we, it's time to do any tactical or anything operation-wise, trust me, I'll have someone with a good record next to me to do that stuff because that's not my area. Right. So when you're teaching your decoys, when you're training them, at some point you're going from the super basics and you start amping it up into a little bit more advanced thing. What's the what's one thing that you know each class that you do, you're going to be like, well, this is where we're going to have a sticking point. This is where it's going to be a little bit difficult for them to get and to understand what's what's a transition or what's something that, that that you see most of the people struggle if they're going to struggle so whenever i see most people struggle is on reading the dog when it's time to add pressure it's hard for a person to understand when to add it or when to take it away and for me i can teach the mechanics i can teach the, the you know what to mark and, and how to mark it but when we start adding pressure to get certain behaviors out of a dog that's where i see the turning point of okay it, this is gonna either you know we're gonna work out to get advanced like more advanced stuff or it's not gonna work out so um that that point right there i think when it's time to i guess it will be channel maybe different drives and do different things like that that's the turning point for me that i notice the most uh for the most part when people jump in the suit and you explain the mechanics of it that part is easy to comprehend once again after they get over the oh oh shit factor once we start talking about trying to read how is the dog reacting to you that's where i see the problem or where you know the more complicated stuff starts coming out do you get guys at your seminars that have been around a long time or is it mostly i do folks no no i i I have been honored to have some people in my seminars that have been doing this longer than i have and um, it's just like i said earlier i always learn from everyone so the seminar was me to teach but i also learned so it's it's something that we get I, I've been fortunate to get everything and something that I felt from the industry, I always had support from even other decoys. You know, I had a, a bunch of decoys have always been willing to work with me and to help me out. So I feel like there's that open communication that everybody knows when you come work with me, I'm going to learn from you as much as you're going to learn from me if you learn anything, you know. So 
I, I've been fortunate to have people that been doing this for a long time and they come and they learn something new and they teach me something new, you know. You ever have anybody come and say, you know what, this this just isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's not for me. Like not yeah. your specific class, but decoying in general. Yeah, absolutely. I have people that tell me that I don't do enough stunts. <laughs> and say, this is not flashy <laughs> enough. Oh. Yeah. And I've been like, well, you know, there's the door. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Shots um, fired. Yeah. Shots so, um, fired. Oh, man, I have, I have no problem talking about that because for me, for each their own, you know, and you teach what you do. But I'm in this industry to make dogs better, not to just make dogs look cool. So it's something that I, I literally had that somebody tell me like, well, but why are you not like putting smoke flares and why are you not dogs jumping off of shit? And I'm like, because I'm here to teach you how to decoy, not how to be a stuntman, you know? So it's something that is about that. If you want that flashy stuff, then that's not decoying for me. That's a show. But if you want to learn how to work a dog a little bit better, you know, that's great. Now, the show part, all of that, that has a place. Don't get me wrong. Everybody likes to pull a cool, a cool promo video. You know, everybody likes to show, you know, some dogs flying off of a car window. That, that, I love that stuff myself, you know, putting videos with music. That, that shit is fun. But we cannot lose sight of we're not teaching anything. We're doing this for fun. You know, we're just having fun with the dogs. So... I, that's the that's the one that I think I that I heard that I was like okay I'm not even gonna deal with you bye you know just get out I'm not gonna work with this so so yeah. do you do you incorporate fend offs and things like that into your training I I incorporated um, at the you know when the dogs are more advanced as a means to add frustration um, as a means to teach the dog like hey I'm not half ass effort it's not gonna work. And if you want to get it, you know, you really have to work for it. But yeah, I think there's a big aspect to fend offs because I feel like that's one of the things that bad guys do the most. You know, when the dog is coming, they try to get away from the dog and not they're not doing it by staring the dog down and using all their bad intentions to run the dog. No, the dog is coming and trying to get out of the dog's way, you know? So I feel like it's a very realistic thing that definitely should be practiced now like anything else you do it a lot a lot a lot and the dogs get great at it i mean look at the french ring dogs you know what i mean and for me that's also a skill a dog that you cannot get away from you know what i mean so it's definitely something that i want to i want to teach my dogs okay i got one last question for you how what do you talk to your guys at your class about about physical fitness in regards to being a decoy man that's you know i'm glad that you mentioned that because that's for me one of the top things because that comes along safety um, I always tell my guys, you don't have to be in shape to catch the first dog. You have to be in shape after the 15th dog and when he's trying to get you on your face. That's when you have to be in shape for. So for me, I see decoying as a sport. I was a professional athlete the majority of my life. So I feel like I have an advantage. And I know uh, Ted shares this with me. He, he was also a, a national you know, level athlete. Yep. When you already have that discipline, when you already understand what it is to take care of your body and also how to push your body, because I think Ted and Alicia can make you a story about me puking my guts out after working a whole day in the heat. <laughs> but we're not going to stop. You know, we're going to keep going. I was, we were doing the last briefing of the class and I was hogging a trash can puking while I was, you know, giving oh, yeah. the, the roundup of it. Because oh, that's common. A fucking Hagner has picked up perfectly where you picked off. That motherfucker yeah. will throw up for no reason. You'll talk to him and he'll be like, I'm going to throw up. And you're like, all right. I mean, yeah, so. And it's something about, you know, you have to push your body because at this moment, like I said, when you have a dog coming at you, there's no, no, no timeout. You cannot stop. You cannot tell the dog like, oh, wait a second. Let me catch my breath. You know, you have to keep going. So 
if you honestly want to be a, give the dog the best work that he can get, you have to be in shape to do that. You have to be able to do that. Something that a lot of people get surprised when they work dogs with me. If you put a dog on me, your dog is going to be biting me for at least 15 minutes. I, I, I mean, this is called bite work, not out work. You know what I mean? I, fuck outing. I, I can get any dog to uh, out. Yes. I cannot get a dog to bite for 15 <laughs> minutes straight. I mean, just work a dog for 20 minutes, take all e-collars, take all the prongs off. I mean, and I'll make a challenge to anyone right now that tells me my dog will never out. Come on over. If I can make your dog out the first time you say it without any correction, you give me a hundred bucks. And you know how I'm going to do it? I'm going to work that dog for 20 minutes straight until he's almost dying. And I'm going to separate you, which is most likely the conflict with the handler, which is making him not out. I'm going to tell you to leave away. I'm going to tell the dog to out. And I, as of right now, I haven't failed yet. Also, I'm not going to stop working until the dog out, so I always win. But <laughs> that's part of being in shape, you know, being able to do stuff like that because we're trying to teach the dogs. And nobody can really work a dog for 14 minutes unless you're in good shape. That's just not gonna happen, you know, 15, 20 minutes. You know very well, George's dog, that dog, I, you know, Paige and George, that, that dog that you gave George, that dog, I think I worked that dog for 25, 30 minutes straight. Oh, trying Brando. to get him to out Brando. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think that dog has yeah. my record. I had the dog 30 minutes, 35 minutes straight on a bite, just waiting that for dog, him to yeah, out. That dog is gangster as shit. He, he, he should, yeah, he should be biting people. Oh, man, he should <laughs> he, be in the street. He's fucking gangster as shit. Yeah, yeah no. So, and, yeah, George, George, yeah, that dog's badass for sure. Yeah, man. So, you know, when you have a dog like that, you need to be in shape to do that. You need to be able to teach that dog because that 35 minutes turns into 25, then into 15. And before you know it, you have the dog out and without problem because he understands I get to fight again. And it's not a fight to out. It's the fight again after you let go, you know? So I, that's a big one for me. You need to be able to work a dog for a long time because this shit is called by work, not out work. I love I think. that saying. Love it. <laughs> stealing it. Plain and simple. I'm stealing it. Uh, yeah, Excellent. man, it's, it's, it's something that I always say, you know, like, don't worry about the dog outing. You can get the dog to let go. Let's worry about making him bite. Nobody, yeah, that, you don't see uh, people using the brakes when they start the race, right? They floor the car, then they worry about the brakes. Yeah, that's the, that's what I tell my guys all the time. I was like, the only behavior that I can affect on a dog, like out of anything, I can't make him look for drugs or bombs. I can't make him track. I can't make him bite. I can't make him sit. I can't. There's all these other behaviors I can't make them do, right? But God damn it, if they got something in their mouth, so help me God, I can make them out. Absolutely. And I've got multiple ways to do it. It ain't that hard. And exactly. so the the preoccupation with the out is something that Eric and I harp on all the time. I, in fact, right now, so right now I have a handler in school right now that's in Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is one of the few states other than Ohio that has a detection and a patrol certification. And Arkansas's certification is actually fairly um, difficult. Yeah, and this that. dog that we had is kind of fucking gnarly. <laughs> and he doesn't want to out, and he's kind of a dickhead. And uh, I got him out today, and I was like, "That's cool. I still got you for another. I still got you for another month, homie. So we ain't gonna worry yeah. about it for a while, because this motherfucker, all he wants to do is bite people and find shit. I mean, he, he's he's a fantastic dog. He'll be a badass patrol dog. But he, the Arkansas. I, I've done so many of these that I call it the Arkansas out, is what I call it to yeah. prepare these guys for their certification and their yeah. call off and their and their recalls. It, it's a difficult. 
it, it's it's harder than Napwata and USPCA for sure, and it, it's hard. Um, I've gotten it down to where we've done it in four days and yeah. um, had a dog that wouldn't out, had a dog that would out guard and recall in four days. So yeah. when when I hear people like, oh, the dog went out, I'm like, well, okay, well, you know, give me a couple of minutes, we'll figure it out. <laughs> and and yeah. the amount of problems that are created because of the out. I mean, how many departments you walked into and they're like, oh, let me show you my bite work. They literally put the dog on the bite. The dog bites 20 seconds and then take him off. Right. And they're like, well, he doesn't want to let go. And I'm like, his whole life is biting. He was right. breed to bite. He was, in his drive to buy was increased through training. Right. And well, and you saw, I mean, during our HRD seminars, I mean, this last one I did in Bartlesville um, in Oklahoma and the one that Eric and I did in San Antonio and I'm sure in Colorado, I mean, those dogs are on grips for four and five minutes at a time by exactly. themselves with a decoy while the handler is doing whatever it is that they're su supposed to be doing and doing you know, their Eric, job yeah eric eric says the best i love you buddy but i'll be there in a second so you just do what you got to do exactly and it's you know there's a an aspect of the problems you create by not letting that dog satisfy his needs that dog came out here he built all these build up of what he's about to do and then you only let him hang for five seconds and you took him away from it and Man, you're you surprised why he won out exactly <laughs> like literally you just you just you were dangling a ferrari in front of him when he started it and revved it up you took it away from him it's, it's that simple and when and handlers get all frustrated i'm like give him a second he's only got two fucking brain cells absolutely. and they're arguing like just give him a second like and just you, wait count to 10 and then say out and hold on and you see the dog turn around and bite the handler. He wanted to bite something and you didn't let him bite that guy. So you're it, you know? And for me, that's why I, I'm a big, big proponent of long bites. Man, the dog has to be on that bite. Let him satisfy his needs. Let him build the stamina for it. Let that dog learn to breathe through the nose. You know, all those things happen with doing it and spending time on the bite. If you walk in there and the dog in 30 seconds get out it, that's exactly what bite work becomes. The dog is gonna be looking forward to that. So yeah, no wonder he doesn't want you around him when the 22nd mark shows up. He knows exactly what's gonna happen, you know? Let him work. Whenever you see a, a guy doing martial arts, he doesn't get in the fight. He's objective, man. He wants to go until the end, not just until whenever somebody tells him to stop. You know, it's, it's something that, for me, it's bite work. Let's do that. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and you guys were talking about the grips and, and the importance of the grips earlier. For me, that translates to martial arts. I practice jujitsu, and for me, the way I grip into somebody means everything. The way I grab to that person means everything. If I go in there and I keep switching my grip and I keep moving around, I'm gonna get worked over. So whenever, for me, I understand very well the grab on and hold on. And that's the importance of the grips and all these techniques. You, know, you gotta let the dog build that grip through practice and stamina. It's not gonna happen overnight, you know? You, how many dogs come from overseas and you put them on the suit and 30 seconds they're dying? Because the weather changed, they never worked that long on a suit. We, we have to build that. The decoys, is the, that's the decoys job. I agree. All right, man, I loved it. Ted, how about you? Yeah, bueno. Yeah, so Carlos, you gotta say one thing. One more. You got to say jank the leash. I know exactly what you're going to ask. I knew this <laughs> You got to jank that leash. You got to jank yeah, it, man. Exactly. So you have a, to jank yeah, exactly. Well, it, it all comes down to the dog's janking back. You got to let the dog push in and don't reward the janking, man. <laughs> jank the leash. Yeah. So this episode is going to be called Jank the Leash with Carlos. 
I'm all for it. <laughs> Excellent. Carlos, man, uh, where can we find you? So you're now at uh, with Land and those yeah, cats. And so, so where is that? Yeah, so right now I'm working in Anniston, Alabama, out of here at IK9 and Extreme Concepts. We have a lot of stuff coming up, man. We have uh, handlers courses, decoy classes. We have all kinds of things coming up. We even have some uh, TV shows and stuff lined up, but we have a lot of projects coming up that are going to be coming out. So everyone can stay tuned to either the IK9 page or my own personal Facebook and Instagram. It's all going to be all one now as well. When, when this comes out, it's all going to be together. So... We're going to keep updated with me and the I Can and Page, and we're going to have everything that's coming up there. Excellent. Eric, where are you at? Van S. Canine on Instagram, Van S. Canine Academy on Facebook. And if you like cute little dog pictures, I have Van S. Doggy Daycare page on Facebook as well. How about you? I am at Ted underscore Summers on the Instagrams. And then, of course, we have the working underscore dog underscore radio on Instagram for the uh, podcast page and then Torchlight Canine letter K number 9 on Instagram on the face and the Facebook and then on Facebook you can find Working Dog Radio there and you can find Torchlight there you probably won't find me so Carlos man it's been awesome I loved it you know this has been an interview we've wanted to do for quite a while and nothing is lined up so I'm glad it lined up and uh, it was great yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. And I, I really yeah. appreciate both of y'all's work. And I, I work with you in seminars and stuff. And looking forward to keep that going, man. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Carlos, Eric. thanks for working that dog in Germany that I just bought, too. So. Hey, man, that was <laughs> awesome. You're going to have fun yeah. with that one. I, I, They told me, this dog is going to Eric. And I was like, all right, I got to get that dog on the bite. <laughs> he's going so, um, to find shit and bite people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hell yeah, so, man. We worked, we worked in twice, too. He's a great dog. Yep. You're going to have a lot of fun with him. All right, thank you. Excellent. All right, guys, thanks a lot, right. man. I appreciate it. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at almk9equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com 
bomb. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K9. Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom, and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up. Specifically for guys on this podcast, for if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.